Watch Podcast. I'm Aaron Berger, a Nebraska Extension Beef Educator. For today's Beef Watch Podcast, we're going to be discussing an article from the March issue of the Beef Watch newsletter titled Comparison of Partially Confined and Traditional Cow-Calf Systems, a review. This article is a review of the 2022 Nebraska Beef Cattle Report, Comparison of Partially Confined and Traditional Cow-Calf Systems. And that article can be found at the beef.unl.edu website. To discuss today's topic, I'm joined today by Dr. Mary Janowski, who's a beef systems specialist at the University of Nebraska. Thanks for joining me today. I'm glad to be here, Aaron. Dr. Janowski, set the stage for us a bit in terms of why this research was done. What was the purpose behind setting up this project? Well, uh, the the big thing is that, uh, you know, pasture has become more and more limiting and more and more expensive in Nebraska. And so there's a lot of producers who either have limited perennial pastures and uh, want to be able to maintain more cows, or maybe they just can't get access to pasture anymore. And so the idea was we were trying to develop some systems that might work without perennial pasture, and we wanted to compare them to perennial systems. And so uh, we were thinking about how do we couple the cropland and the opportunities to be able to grow annual forages or cover crops with maybe some dry lotting during the summer. So that was kind of the idea. Now, as a part of that, we thought that if you were going to have cows in confinement during the summer, we thought it would be best not to have them actually calving in the spring so that you didn't have calves being born into the colder, wetter conditions in a dry lot. Uh, So we actually moved the calving season to summer. And the whole purpose of that really was to get the calves out of the dry lot fairly early in their lives and out onto some cropland. The cows that are in this research study, what would have been the approximate date of the start of calving for them? Uh, the very start of calving would have been uh, July 15th. Uh, and then, of course, we, we had basically a 60-day calving season. Um, so we call them August calving, but they start July 15th and go to about September 15th. Talk a little about the system in terms of what were the cows on in terms of a diet in the dry lots. And then when they moved from dry lot to cover crop, what were they grazing? So the system was basically that uh, the cows would be in dry lot from kind of mid-March through until uh, early October. And during that time, they were mostly getting a ration of distillers, grains, and straw. So like a 50-50 mix. Now, over time, that diet has changed based off of just what feeds were available uh, most recently, they've actually been on a diet that had quite a bit of uh, corn silage in it uh, mixed with straw and then some distillers. So uh, usually the diet, the idea is that we want a diet that's fairly energy and protein dense that we can limit feed. So a lot of times these cows are not actually getting uh, full feed. They're, they're getting something around one and a half percent of body weight in gestation and then we're going to something more like two to maybe two and a half percent of body weight during uh, early lactation before they go out onto our cover crop. In this case, in October, would be oats that was planted after either early harvested corn silage. So we had some 84-day corn 
that actually worked really, really well. Or uh, after wheat, and that would be kind of a delayed planting because we would not want to plant the oats until the 1st of August. And that's just because it's a little bit too warm for oats before that, and they'll actually start to try to go reproductive, put out a head, and they won't be very high quality. So we kind of delay a little bit in the wheat system. Honestly, that's one thing that I think that we've learned is that the oats in this system were not super economically viable, uh, mostly because we had a lot of loss due to trampoline because we were actually, you know, set stocking or continuous stocking where we were trying to graze them for about 90 days and we gave them access to pretty much all the 90 days worth of forage at once. And we were starting to see that the disappearance rates were very, very high, like 150 pounds per cow per day kind of thing. So I think uh, one lesson we learned there is that if we were going to do that, we need to actually do some sort of either strip grazing or at least, you know, giving them like a smaller section and giving them access to something new, you know, maybe once a week or twice or once every two weeks. Um, just to cut down on the loss when we have a rainfall event and they trample in a lot of forage. You mentioned the oats is a little bit expensive. And as we look at crop prices today, corn and soybeans are are quite high compared to what they historically have been. As you think about someone who might be considering a system like this right now, and we're looking at current economics, what might be another alternative to consider if uh, maybe putting oats in a wheat type situation wasn't a good option? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of different things to consider. So if somebody already has a cash crop, they have a combine, they have all that, it's really hard to to get out of the corn and beans, <laughs> in my opinion. So one thing that we're actually going to move towards this year is actually thinking about really taking advantage of corn residue and actually taking those cows to corn residue as quickly as we can. We're going to shoot for November 1st and actually just supplementing with distillers on corn residue. I think that's a much more cost-effective lactating cow ration than the oats were. But I think if you were going to have some land that you want to dedicate to a forage, like let's say corn silage or in these cow rations, actually corn silage is a little bit too high energy in my opinion, like something like sorghum silage would work really well then we could either have an early harvest and put in oats, or maybe we don't even have these fall cows and we go back to spring calving and then rye looks really good in combination with something like sorghum or corn silage in a rotation, because then you have some feed to feed those cows when you do have them in dry lot, but you also are grazing those lactating cows on a forage. So for some producers in Nebraska, high moisture corn is also something that comes off pretty early and then corn stocks become available. Would that fit in the system as well? Yeah. So high moisture corn, we've tried planting um, something for fall forage after high moisture corn and it doesn't work for us. It's not quite early enough. Um, We really say the deadline for oats is uh, at least in kind of the central part of Nebraska. If I go farther north, it's probably going to back up some, but Usually we say September 1st. If I can't get it in before September 1st, I might as well go with something that's winter hardy and think about spring forage because I'm not going to get enough growth for any kind of fall grazing. So high moisture corn probably does not work if you're looking for a fall forage. But high moisture corn would really fit nicely 
with the idea of grazing cows on stalks because it would come out early enough to where you could theoretically put your cows that are actually about ready for breeding on high moisture corn stalks and feed them distillers. And that would work really, really nicely because that's actually one of our challenges in the system is stocks aren't available until after we're halfway through the breeding season. So we either have to breed in dry lot or we have to find some other forage source. Talk a little bit about the two cow-calf systems. We have a March calving system, and then we've got this late July, August calving system. How did those two compare? What was the breed up on those cows? What was the calf health, performance of the calves? How did they compare to one another? Well, so the, the two systems, I mean, both of these are kind of uh, what we're looking for for Eastern Nebraska type systems. So the traditional systems, uh, basically April calving. So it starts calving about March 15th. And in that system, we're going to perennial smooth brome grass, right? So we're going to spring brome grass in May and we graze until October. And then we feed a little bit of hay if necessary, depending on how much the, the pasture has left. We're trying to get to stocks, if that makes sense. So we're weaning and then we're moving those cows to stocks and then they graze on stocks until March. We feed a little bit of hay until the smooth brome is ready. So pretty typical. In that system, we were getting about 94% breed up. And that's basically what we got in the traditional system. In terms of the difference between the two, the biggest difference was we had a difference in weaning weight. And the cows who were in the alternate system had calves that were lighter. And if I remember correctly, it was almost 100 pounds lighter than the cows that were in the spring system. And the reason that I think we saw that difference is season, uh, because those calves are actually born and then growing through the winter. So they're born in, in summer, and most of their growth period is happening when the weather is pretty cold and miserable for a little calf. In fact, uh, out at U.S. Mark, we've been doing two fall calving systems. So same timing of calving in August. And then either they're on perennial uh, grass or they're in this dry lot type system. So very, very similar comparison, except for it's the same calving season. And we did not see any difference in weaning weights across the last three years uh, between those two systems. So I think what I would take from that is that uh, if we go to that kind of summer calving system, we are going to wean a little bit lighter calves than what we might think of in a spring calving system. And it's, it's really a weather uh, driven situation. We didn't see really a whole lot of differences in like the percent of calves weaned, uh, except for, I will say the very, very first year we did this, it was a particularly wet fall and we calved in, you know, in the dry lot. And in that particular year, we did have a uh, coccidia problem and we did lose quite a few calves to coccidia. The reason we had went to the summer calving was we were looking for drier conditions because we were worried about that. And in fact, uh, best laid plans, we had a super wet fall that was not normal. Uh, and we did get that problem. So I will point out that there there probably does need to be some risk management scenarios, maybe some adaptive management, so to speak, 
We actually made a plan that in the future, if we had those really wet conditions, we would actually move uh, the cows who were calving to a different location so that we could get some sod underneath them. And I think that's a pretty good plan uh, to have some kind of an idea of well, what can I do if I get really muddy conditions, because that's definitely not optimal for calving. As you think about the things you've learned from this system and looking at this, if someone was considering a late summer fall calving system where their primary resource was crop residue, what are some things you'd really encourage them to think through and maybe some key leverage points to make this kind of system work? Well, I mean, I think I think the big thing is distillers can really do a lot of wonders. <laughs> and and the reason I say that is if I think about the really cheap rations that I can put together, it's corn stalks and distillers. And I can limit feed that ration in the dry lot and I can graze it very, very cheaply. So if you have corn residue, I mean, distillers is, is kind of like the perfect pairing because it brings in protein and energy and it brings in moisture, which in a, in a ration, that's really useful to, to really help the, to decrease sorting, for instance. And then out on out on grazing the stalks, it's, it's only a negative in that it's a little bit harder to feed. So if you're using, say, modified or wet, that is another thing to consider um, is if I want to graze stock with lactating cows, you have to supplement. To maintain a cow in early lactation, you're probably looking at about seven pounds of dry matter of distillers. So that's a lot of distillers. So the question is, how are you going to feed it? And that would probably be another uh, thing to really think through is what equipment do I have? I mean, dry makes it easy to feed, but it's usually more expensive. So having the ability to feed modified out on stocks, and I've seen some people have some really creative setups to do so, uh, but I think that's something that you would probably want to really think through because uh, I think that's a, a really useful thing. In terms of other things to think through, it might be how else could I bring in moisture if I am in it in an area where maybe having a wet distillers is not going to work, a, a wet or a modified, right? So then silage can be really, really helpful. And it could be corn silage, but I actually think small grains really fit into those systems, especially for somebody who's willing maybe to delay planting on, on beans a little bit and take uh something like rye off a little bit early, like the uh, first part of May. So it's really, really uh, high quality and high protein. That'd be another really great cow feed for when they do have to be in dry lot. So I think there are a lot of options and I can think about a lot of different ways to put the puzzle pieces together. I think everybody just needs to think about what is my competitive advantage? What do I have access to that is going to be a low cost feed resource. And then you can kind of figure out how to piece the puzzle together. The other thing from my perspective, as we look at Nebraska, the majority of cows, I would say probably 90% or more of cows in Nebraska are spring calving cows. So there's often some young cows that fall out uh, just because we know that for two and three-year-olds that getting rebred is a challenge. There's a readily available source often of replacements, I would say, that can roll into this late summer program. And then the, also the opportunity to maybe uh, be in a partnership with someone and share bull power. So 
There's some complementary things. I also think that because of our location in Nebraska and because of the primary cow herd being spring calving, this kind of system can complement that as well. That's an excellent point, Aaron. Those are two really good points, especially because if I remember correctly, Eric Funson did some work where they were kind of looking at if a cow falls out of out of the system, what's the likelihood that they're going to be a problem in the future in terms of, of breed up? And, and honestly, I think uh, what he showed was really that, that that's not really correlated. So buying a cow who maybe didn't get bred for spring calving may not have anything to do with her fertility. She may not have just been ready at that point. And that can be, for instance, you know, a lot of times you have your late calvers, or as you said, those those young cows who maybe didn't quite get the nutrition they needed to be cycling, but as soon as they get that nutrition or get a little bit more time, they're going to be fine in terms of fertility. So I think that's a great point. And the bull, that's another really good point. The other thing to think about in terms of the fall calving system is that uh, it also means that you're actually weaning calves at a time when usually the prices are a little bit better. So you are likely giving up um, some weight compared to spring calving, but we also get a little bit uh, more value out of those calves in terms of market prices uh, when you'd be weaning them. And in fact, that's actually another thing we're going to try in the next couple of years is actually to keep them on stocks longer. And so kind of weaning late. So maybe uh, not weaning those calves until, you know, 250, 260 days of age. So weaning them in March uh, and uh, seeing how that works for us, because having those cows and calves out on stocks with distillers, I think could work really well. Uh, I'm really glad that you're going to examine that. Cause again, I think in Nebraska, for many producers, their least cost forage base is crop residue. So another 60 or 75 days of grazing with that calf could really help the cost situation out on this. Yeah, I agree. I think the main thing with that is just making sure that we have enough distillers being fed to the cow to keep her in good condition. Now, she can afford to lose some condition, right? Because we can gain it back on the other end and that might make sense but we've got to kind of figure out what that balance looks like. The other part of that is how, what does the calf need? And should we be supplementing the calf something out there on stocks as well that the cow can't get to? Um, Those are all questions that I don't know the answer to. In my head, it would make sense because the only time I see, you know, creep feeding, in this case, I would just feed some extra distillers. Um, But the only time we see creep feeding actually makes sense is on low quality forage. Um, because we get such an increase in performance and this might be that situation. One other thing you mentioned that I'd like to just kind of bounce back to is you talked about marketing time for the calves, but for those non-pregnant cows, cows that did not get pregnant, that springtime window is not a bad time to be marketing a cold cow either. So there can be some price advantage also just from those cows that are leaving the herd also. Yeah, exactly. Somebody might buy them and and put them back into their spring herd. So I think uh, there is some benefits to thinking about this uh, late summer calving system. Anything else on this topic that you think would be valuable for producers to think through as they consider a late summer fall calving system with crop residue? 
Well, I do think I actually just went out and visited an operation today that uh, they're not calving in the late summer, but they are calving in dry lots. And one of the things that they did that I really like is they have a creep gate and they have access to a perennial uh, pasture for those calves. And and they mentioned that those calves during the night, uh, they all go out and lay in that grass. And I think uh, that makes a lot of sense uh, to give them that opportunity to get away from mom, get away from any mud, um, any dust if it's in the summer. Um, so thinking through the opportunities either to to give those calves a separate area that uh, you can either bed well or uh, that is perennial or even annual forage, just something to get them into uh, some some bedding and uh, allow them maybe even to creep graze uh, actually kind of makes sense to me if you're going to have pears and dry lot. Well, thanks again for joining me today. Yeah, I've enjoyed it. I think this is one of those things that there's still a lot to learn. And uh, every day I, I learn something new as I talk to producers who are trying out different components of, of these systems. For more information on the topic that was discussed in today's Beef Watch podcast, I would encourage you to visit the beef.unl.edu website. Again, the topic that we discussed today in the title of the article, Comparison of Partially Confined and Traditional Cow-Calf Systems, a review 